This past Wednesday, the rock world and the music world as a whole lost a genuine icon with the passing of Eddie Van Halen, one of the most legendary, amazing, and incredible guitarists of all time. I think adjectives almost run out of the things you can say about the man. From, from innovating what the guitar can do on Van Halen's 1978 debut album to synth-heavy music off of albums such as 1984 and 5150, crafting some of the most timeless rock songs of all time. Songs like Running With The Devil, songs like And The Cradle Will Rock, and Everybody Wants Some, and Unchained, uh, any song off of the 1984 album, countless great covers like You Really Got Me, uh, the, the many covers that are on the Diver Down record. Those albums were so, they helped introduce me to vinyl from my father. And I know time goes on and, and, and everything, but to lose a genuine rock icon, especially during this turbulent year, is, uh, is it's, it's sad. The beginning of the year, we lost the legendary Rush drummer Neil Peart, and I remember where I was, and literally standing in my kitchen uh, when I heard the news about Eddie. Uh, it is unfortunate. So, uh, certainly, my condolences and the condolences of fans all over the world go out to his son Wolfgang, uh, his family, friends, and fans. And uh, before we get started here with this week's episode of the show. Uh, I would just like to uh, briefly have a moment of silence in honor of the late and great Eddie Van Halen. From the living room of a small apartment in central West Virginia, it's time for the Bang Your Head Podcast. And here's your host, Jake Simmons. What is going on, friends? Welcome into the latest installment of the Bang Your Head Podcast. As always, you can check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the social media pages, uh, Facebook, search for Bangerhead Podcast with Jake Zimmers. If you'd like to follow me personally, Twitter and Instagram at JMZ1994. Listen to the playlists on Spotify where you can listen to every album and every independent song we have spotlighted thus far in the six-month history of the series, which is something hard to believe. So, uh, It's been a crazy week. Um, obviously, you heard me say there in the intro about the unfortunate passing of, uh, of Eddie Van Halen. I was listening to a lot of, uh, of Van Halen music over the past few days. So many iconic songs and, and great records. Um, selfishly recommending nearly all of the initial era albums from their debut in 78 all the way up to the 1984 album. In between there, you have uh, you know albums like uh, Women and Children First, and Fair Warning, and Diver Down, and of course Van Halen 2. Um, so many great albums there. So highly recommend checking out those albums on Spotify. And it's, like like you heard me say there, you know, a rock icon, another one is gone, and uh, it's a, it sucks. So um, 
hope to uh, alleviate the sad feelings and, and bring some positive vibes here on this week's episode of the Banger Head Podcast. I had the opportunity to sit down with a guy that is my uh, my first boss, a colleague, uh, and over the past four years, I've grown to to call a friend amongst all those other great titles. Uh, his name is John Sabino. We're going to learn a lot about his story, a lot about how he got his start from high school to Temple University in Philadelphia to his current gigs at uh, his current his current gig rather at Lafayette College in Easton, Pennsylvania. So um, we have a we have a great episode coming up for you guys. Uh, I'm going to step aside. I'm going to shut up, as I always say, and uh, leave it to uh, to the sit down. This is this is my sit down with uh, with my old boss, John Sabino. So after three weeks of the same guest, uh, after multiple parts episode, we're back with a new one. And uh, I it's no hyperbole for me to say, and uh, I may make him blush when I say this, uh, I don't know where I would uh, be in my career without this guy giving me an opportunity to intern at Lafayette when, uh, even though we're basically the same age, uh, he gave me the opportunity to, uh, to intern with the, uh, the, the wonderful athletic communications team up at Lafayette College, uh, brought me back as a PA. Uh, he is the video production manager for Lafayette College, the athletic communications department. Uh, he is a regional Emmy Award winner. I know an Emmy Award winner. That's pretty sick. Uh, a proud alum of Temple University, um, the pride of Coopersburg, Pennsylvania, and I don't know how many other nicknames I can throw in here. I'm I'm, I'm excited to have my man on here, John Sabino. John, what's good, buddy? I mean, I can give you like four other nicknames, but I don't think any of them. They're all PG-13 <laughs> or higher, so we can leave it at that. Jake, thanks for the intro. Happy to be here. All right, so uh, first question I'll ask. I ask everybody the same thing every week. Who is John Sabino? Uh, he's me. Um, I don't know what, how else to say it other than that. Uh, well, uh, Jake, I'll just be honest. You're, uh, that was a great intro. I mean, you kind of hit everything on the head there. I mean, you know, from Coopersburg, went to Temple, uh, now I work at Lafayette College. Um, very blessed to have a job that's so close to home, uh, so close to seeing family, friends, uh, it was kind of a nice move going to Philly for college and then actually just coming right back. But uh, no, just, you know, like, like just hanging out and doing fun stuff. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> that was a hard question. That was a hard question right off the bat. Who is John Sabino? I mean, he's me. I always try to go deep and introspective whenever we start these things off. So oh, I always, wow. I always that, try to is get that the hardest try to get question of today or are there harder ones coming up? Uh, Yes. Um, let's, <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. I, I mentioned your, your, your hometown, Coopersburg, PA. Talk to me about what a young Sabino was like growing up in that, in that wonderful thriving metropolis. That was like the most generous term you could give to Coopersburg, <laughs> Pennsylvania. It, it's one of those towns that like my grandfather always says, it's like one of those towns you blink, you miss it. Um, and it's funny cause like friends from college will like go up to Scranton or something like that. And they'll take 309 and pass by and they'll be like, we saw the Coopersburg diner. We saw this. And they're like, how far does it go? And I was like, that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, it's one of those, if you're going up from Quakertown, if you're going through 309, it's about like five miles. So you're not really going to see much, but, uh, no, it was a nice little, you know, small town went suddenly I high school. Uh, but the nice thing I'd say is a lot of, uh, friends from high school still either stayed local or are close enough that I get to see them every now and then. I mean, obviously with quarantine, it's been 
up in the air as it has been with, you know, literally everything. But uh, the nice thing about it is I th- I'd say is it's just, it's kind of in that like in-between point where it's about, I'd say a little over an hour to Philadelphia and probably a little over an hour and a half to New York. So the nice thing about it was like, if we wanted to go to either city, um, we didn't really have to uh, like um, stay overnight or we didn't have to uh, plan like a whole weekend where we had to stay there or anything like that. Like, you know, we could go to a Yankees game, we could go to a Phillies game within the you know realm of possibility, which I thought was kind of cool. And you don't really get that from, every you know city in Pennsylvania so no it was a pretty cool city you know I visit my parents every now and then and uh yeah I'd say my dog loves it I mean she loves the suburban neighborhood which she's not used to so uh yeah go Coopersburg I should I should also preface something you just briefly mentioned your your wonderful dog Piper and um the 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 people listening to this won't won't see our zoom conversation that we're having um but you made you made the point to Add a little caveat before we started about how you you only have one earbud in. Um, it is no secret that John's dog does not like me, and I it's it's one of the great mysteries in this world as to why Piper does not like me. I'm still confused as to why. There's that there's one great time where it didn't where she never barked at me, and I hold that memory near and dear to my heart. And it's been three. We took years. a picture. We have a yes. picture of that. Yes, somewhere. But no, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because like, uh, I just again, I, Piper, I got her when she was two and a half, she was a rescue. So we don't really know much about her backstory, other than the fact that she was in a high kill shelter in Kentucky. And she went into foster care um, a week before they were supposed to put her down. So that's pretty much again, that's pretty much all we know about her. So if I had to make a guess, it's probably because like, she just doesn't really like people who are like, really bigger than her. Um, and it's something where it's like even like living with Brian like every now and then she like cowers at him and it's my roommate and he's like you know close to six feet tall he's like you know he's built and it's just like every now and then she cowers at him but I think it's just a big thing but for Jake it just it was so different um because like I mean one of the memories I have is uh, you came over to watch it was like the Super Bowl maybe or football or something I don't really remember what it was but we were watching and you got up to use our bathroom and you had been here for like hours, like a few hours watching like NFL playoffs. So she already knew you were here and knew you weren't a threat. So you go to the bathroom, you come out of the bathroom, you open the door and she treats you like you're a brand new person. She lays into you. She's just like, bark, 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 bark. And you're just standing in the doorway of the bathroom like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do wrong? And I just, <laughs> I just was like, oh my goodness. And I know a few like, maybe like a year ago, you came over, it was for that uh, Crooked Ways show uh, uh, at uh, One Center Square. And you came over and she was like really good. But uh, the second you like stood up, she like laid into you again. And I was like, all right, it's the same. <laughs> I was like, I thought she was doing better. But uh, but no, she's uh, living her best life in quarantine. So, you know, that's the best thing about quarantine. So, uh on off of that off that caveat so we can center center back to where we were but um in the your good news is she's asleep right now so you should be fine okay good uh, if, you know knock on wood and then in in, in 30 minutes we'll hear he's on the other line crap um so we cycle it back to to your formative years when you were growing up when when you were growing up uh, you obviously you you have such a deep um background in 
uh, not just obviously being a fan of all different kinds of sports, but also uh, in your case, in your in your you know your undergrad career at Temple as well as your professional career at Lafayette uh, over the past you know seven eight years, you've gotten to work in depth uh, in the in the sports world. Do you remember that first? like memory whether it was a game or a moment or a player that regardless of the sport that sort of like kind of got you hooked to got you hooked hooked on the sports bug so to speak um well i guess i'm gonna stay take it a step before that actually um so i had had my mindset on temple probably since late freshman year early sophomore year of uh, uh high school and it was mostly because I wanted to be a movie director. Uh, I wanted to, uh, ever since I was a little kid, I saw, and I know it sounds cliche, but I saw Jaws and I loved it. And uh, it just like, it got me hooked. Like since then I like did a group project on Spielberg where we had to do like 10 different, like create your own project stuff in middle school. So like, again, I was hooked on it. My dad's a huge movie buff. So junior year, I believe it was, or senior year, I went to Temple for a visit and I went to the film department and uh, again, love Temple, everything about it, but the film department, I was not crazy about. Um, the guy uh, in the meeting, he didn't really sell it to me. Uh, he said the program would take about five to six years to complete. And he said, majority of people who go through it work on low budget films and they don't have like, you know, that job that, you know, that keeps paying every day. And I was like, whoa, that's just that job security, five to six years. And the one guy's like 30 and he still hasn't finished the program and he's promoting it. I was like, oh, goodness, <laughs> not a fan. Um, so I was pretty depressed because, you know, I really wanted to go there. And now I'm like considering, reconsidering everything I've ever thought. So I went to the TV one. My parents like talked me into it and I was like, all right, fine. And it was like the whole thing just flipped on its head. They were so positive. They were showing all the things the students do. It was like the complete opposite. And I, I owe a lot of that to Amy Capel, who I didn't know at the time and became pretty uh, close with at Temple. And um, honestly, it was kind of that moment because after that is when I started like looking into what like TV careers I could do, you know, because at the time I was like, well, TV, I don't really know like what a director, a TV director does. And um, it was like, then it kind of flipped and I was like sports. I was like, I love sports. <laughs> And I love sports movies, which is what I was like looking into. But the second I started like going to Temple and going to sporting events, um, I like saw the students on the sidelines, like at the link and at the Leah Cora Center. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, that's awesome. So uh, I would say, honestly, it was kind of that moment is when I like really shifted my focus to uh, TV and shifted to directing TV. Now, the job at Lafayette obviously is a little different than some of the stuff I did at Temple. But um, I'd agree with uh, what you were saying, Jake, is like, what was that moment that really got me into it? Um, when I was a senior at Temple, I did an internship at Penn uh, with uh, Ryan Coletti and Vinny Barcelona. They were both the best guys. I still stay in contact with them. And there was one night, uh, there was a sprint football game, which is basically football for people under 120 pounds. It's a lot of uh, Chip Kelly offense there, Jake, you know, <laughs> your favorite Chip Kelly, you know, that spread. Um, Let's not talk about Chip Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that, like, hurry up. It's, like, again, the final score, I think, was, like, 55 to, like, 45. It was just <laughs> ridiculous. We were there for four hours. But my boss let me direct. And I, at the time, I had only directed TV, which was all scripted. So it's, like, start with the intro, VO, SOT, like, that whole thing. And this was 
all on the fly. And that once I did that, I said, Ooh, this is what I want to do. Cause it's kind of like your own thing. So I really enjoyed that. And I think that was kind of the moment where I knew I wanted to direct sports and I get to do that now at Lafayette, which is awesome. As a, as a kid going through middle school and high school, what was, what was that sort of like gamer or player that got you hooked into like a certain team? Cause I know, I know your sports fandom and you're kind of like geographically, I think a lot of people, a lot of people are like, like for me, like I, I can't even talk cause I have favorite teams all over the country, but like, um, but for the most part, like, like I'm, you know, people I knew from Kutztown pretty much rooted for people from either Philly or New York. Um, for you, it's kind of like all over the place between the, the Colts and the, the Lakers and the Phillies and the New Jersey Devils. So like, um, when you, when you look across your, your fandom of, of sports, do you, is there, is there a game from, from growing up or, or, or a play or a moment that really, uh, sticks out to you that made you become a fan of a certain team? So I'll just do like a quick plug here saying that honestly, like my family coming from it are not like huge sports fans. My brother is, but my dad is mostly a Yankees fan. And when it comes to other sports, he kind of just watches like the Super Bowl or the finals or something like that. He doesn't like go out of his way to watch a team. So growing up, um, I kind of watched players. Uh, like I mostly followed uh, players. I'd say the Phillies were the only team I followed without really a player. And that was just because they were local to be honest, I think I liked their colors when I was a kid. I don't really exactly remember, but uh, that's how I mostly followed them. But I would say the moment for me, and it's not even a sports moment, was um, – well, sorry, it's not an on-the-field sports moment. It's uh, Peyton Manning was kind of the player that got me into the Colts because at the time uh, my brother was a Cowboys fan, and I know, Jake, yeah, you're throwing up right now for those of you who can't see us, which I, is understandable. Uh, a lot of people do that who aren't even Eagles fans when they see him. That's, that's completely understandable. But um, I just, I don't know. I wasn't really into the Cowboys. I don't know why. So I was kind of just watching sports. Like the first football memory, like watching a game was the uh, Rams Titans uh, where the guy reached out at the one yard line. And I thought it was awesome. I can't wait for the next Super Bowl. It's going to be great. And then the next one was Giants Ravens, which was one of the worst Super Bowls I've ever seen. So uh, yeah, kind of a letdown, but um it was Peyton Manning in those commercials, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands where I saw him and I'm laughing at him. And then like, I would like watch their games and I'm like, Oh, he's really cool. And he's a really funny guy. So I'm going to follow him. So it was kind of like that is what really got me into the Colts. Um, and then obviously a lot of heartbreak in the early two thousands, pretty much losing to Brady every round was not a lot of fun, but, uh, Finally getting that last, you know, punch in in 2006, the AFC championship game where they came back and beat the Patriots. I mean, the Super Bowl was great. I'm happy they won the Super Bowl, but I'm like, it was that game that was like, that was like the, just the yes moment. You know what I mean? Like that finally, I mean, it's the same thing with probably you guys beating the Eagles, beating Brady in the Super Bowl. It's like that finally we got there. That's what like, for me, I was like, oh, like every year it was like, bounce in the first round or they demolish a team in the wild card and then lose the Brady. So um, yeah, 06 was a big, like, wow, he's really come a long way, but now following Peyton Manning from, yeah, those sprint commercials. I don't know if you remember where he had like that Beatles haircut and the mustache. And it's like, Oh, where you can watch Peyton Manning. God, I love him. Rocket arm, that kind of thing. So yeah, that was honestly the moment I got hooked on Manning, but yep. So uh, when you were talking there about uh, your your sort of experience in applying to to Temple, you had it. You said you had it set in stone that that 
you know, from your freshman year of high school, you're like, I want to become a filmmaker. I want to go to Temple. I want to do this. And you said you got turned off uh, just because the you you know the, you weren't getting the most I guess positive reception, positive review. I guess you know five to six years for a program that should probably take four years is like I understand how that could be a turnoff. So when you when you first had that experience before you made the discovery into the TV side of of this crazy media production world. Uh, was there was there a moment where you you thought about going elsewhere, or was the was it almost like the determination to try to find another way to stay hooked and and go to Temple? I'd say the moment was honestly between the end of that meeting and the beginning of the TV meeting, so like that hour. Okay. Um, again, I when I was looking at colleges, I visited I think four colleges because I knew like Temple was the school I wanted to go to. Believe it or not, little known fact, I actually visited Lafayette College when I was looking at colleges. Uh, just short story, I, they had just started a TV and film uh, major. I don't know if you remember when you were there. They had like some, but it was just still, they weren't really sports interested. It was more documentary and uh, freeform film. But uh, it just, funny story is when we got there, uh, we were the only two in our like entire orientation or whatever they call it group uh, that were interested in film. So they didn't even send us with like a leader or something. They just told us to go to the bottom of the hill where that like chamois shine car wash is. And we're like, the building's right there. And they said, there should be somebody there. So my dad and I walk all the way down the hill, find out the building's not even done yet. There's nobody there except construction people. So then we walked back up the hill, tired, went to Giacomo's, not a bad day. So uh, still, that was, I mean, again, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't have the grades probably to get into Lafayette and everybody who was on the panel was waitlisted, which was like, whew, interesting. But uh, it's still a great school. And I think their program has really grown since then. So it's something it's nice to see from when 2011 to now to see the growth that Lafayette has done uh, with their film program. But I honestly think it was just that hour. It was just like, I was just thinking about everything. Like my backup school was Clarion out in uh, Western PA and Clarion's a great school. Um, the problem with Clarion I just saw was it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's just, it was, they are, I think it was 90 minutes from Erie, 90 minutes from Pittsburgh and two hours from the border of Ohio. So I was like, an internship there is the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like I'm not driving 90 minutes a day to Pittsburgh or three hours a day back and forth. And then my other school is DeSales and DeSales is in Coopersburg, PA. And part of me was like, do I really want to go to a school that's walking distance from my house? So it was kind of that hour. And I was like really depressed. And I was like, all right, I'll see what TV has to say. And again, it was just how they sold it because the film program, it just didn't sell me at Temple. Like I wouldn't buy that product, but the TV one I'd buy multiple times because we went to a second visit day before I was accepted at Temple to see the full TV uh, presentation. And it was again, night and day. Like I was just blown away by how awesome they were, how upbeat and happy and how they were like selling the school. And again, I owe that a lot to Amy Caples and Paul Glock and everybody who runs that program that they just really sold it to someone who was kind of on the fence, you know, going into it. 
when you when you did ultimately make the decision to go there did you did you have kind of a new a new dream in mind in terms of like uh you know directing for ESPN or Fox Sports or working for the NFL or NBA I mean spoiler alert you did get to do uh some work with NFL films uh later on but but what what was what was that uh initial goal for you whenever you did uh officially join that program that's actually a great question because I'll be honest, I, I didn't really know. Um, I kind of knew that I wanted to go into the TV industry and I didn't know what that entailed. Um, at, at first, uh, sports wasn't really the first focus until I started going to sporting events. I remember the first game I went to at Temple, I just saw all these students on the sidelines filming the football game and they were playing Maryland, you know, two bigger name teams and it's the link, you know, where the Eagles play. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. How do I get to do that? So it was kind of like that, that really got me into it. Um, but yeah, it going into, once I made the decision for TV, it was more of a like, let's see how this goes. Um, Cause I mean, again, I could switch major if I wanted to or something like that, but I wanted to focus on something in the media industry and see where that went. And it's just the career paths they had there were just from beginning to end, just so diverse that uh, I didn't really go in saying, I want to be a sports director. Like that came throughout my time at Temple. I kind of went in saying, I want to do something in media, in something in television, and we'll see where that goes. As I mentioned in the intro here, you uh, in 2015 won a uh, Mid-Atlantic Regional Emmy uh, for work you did for Temple. Uh, (laughs) uh, Talk a little bit about... um, uh, the project that won, what your involvement was, and sort of what went through your mind. Uh, not just, you know, I think at any point being nominated is really is really cool, obviously, but like uh, to win, like to have on your resume, like, oh, I'm an Emmy Award winner. Like not everyone can say that. So talk a little bit about that entire process and, and kind of what, what was happening behind the scenes. So um, like I was talking about with the going into Temple, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, seeing the people filming on the field. Uh, that organization was called Owl Sports Update, which is something I was a big part of. Um, and it was a big part of me, honestly. I just loved everything about it. Uh, and Owl Sports uh, was like an ESPN style show that was once a week, completely student run with the help of Matt Fine, who Jake, I know you know from calling baseball and now he calls softball games for us for uh, Lafayette. Um, and that's where, you know, we go on the field, we film highlights, and then every Thursday we produce a like half hour show with highlights, packages, uh, sound on tape, interviews, things like that. Um, so this particular show, um, I think is kind of interesting because when you watch the show, you think it's really well done. You think it's flawless. There's really no real major problems from just watching it. But the setup for the show was the most crazy hectic experience I think of my life um which and when it was done we all thought it was terrible because we just like from everything we were doing which is all the running around was terrible um so this particular show uh we found out that Temple did not make the NCAA tournament um they small context they had an on and off year they beat Kansas which was our like huge win um they were ranked I think like 10th or 14th or something like that but uh they just didn't beat some of the conference teams that they should have. So they were like right on the bubble. So we were like preparing for all of that, but we were having so many issues with like exporting videos um, because the way we did it was we exported them to a tape, like a DV tape. And we played, that's how we played all of our pre-recorded content. 
So we were having issues with that. So I'm like trying to deal with that. And then this one girl who had a package, I just remember she was like, it's not going to make it. And then like 20 minutes before the show, we were like, oh, we figured it out. We're going to export it now. And we're like, you know, we have a deadline because it's a live show and you can't start a live show five minutes late. You got to start right on the top of the hour, which is what we did. So um, like her package is like later on in the show, like we squeezed it in there. And that's just the uh, genius mind of John Demuzio, who also works uh, at CBS uh, Sports Network right now. Uh, he was, him and I were the producers of that team uh, and our anchors to Andrew McDevitt and Walt Ruff. Again, going on the fly there, it was just like, again, it felt like we did that show on the fly. So at the end of the semester, when the Emmy nominations came up, Matt said each team, because there were two different teams, a cherry and a white team, because there were so many students, um, put up one show and we put up that show. I mean, we watched it and we were like, I guess. And when the nomination came out, we were kind of blown away. We were like, wow, this one? Really? Like, how <laughs> How do, does this one uh, get up for it? Um, at the time, in the fall, I also produced a football show that was called the Matt Rule Weekly. Uh, we had to rename it after he, uh, you know, decided to leave Temple University. But uh, it still was a really fun show. That one was even more freeform. Uh, but we were up for uh, a not, and I had an Emmy nomination for that one, too, which was, again, first year of the show, completely incredible. Um, and that was an, uh, really like, you know, it was really cool to be up for two, I guess, but, um, we didn't win for the Matt rule one, which was a shame, but then we were up in a different category for this owl sports one. And I believe, honestly, I could be wrong. I think we were up against Kutztown. Uh, so, you know, two alma maters there, Jake going at it, but, uh, no, when we heard our names being called, it was just incredible a great experience and of course the clip they showed was uh that girl's package uh that was late and like the while we're walking off we're like trying to hold in laughs because we knew how like crazy it's like of course that's the moment you show for our win but uh no it was a great experience um uh it was really cool being there with all those you know uh, everybody who was winning uh Emmys for other TV stations and things like that it was a really cool experience. And yeah, it was the first one Owl Sports won. So, uh, and since then they've gone on to win many, many, many more. They just had them this weekend. I know they won at least two. I think they won a third one, which is great. So, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, Temple's turn, uh, turning out Emmy winners, <laughs> I guess, you know, they're in the right spot. So uh, yeah, it just, it was a really cool experience. I, I do. I do have to ask: Is it like just one award that they give to the department, or did each of you get like your own individual one? Because I feel like if you had like a trophy showcase in your office or in your house, like that, that would be like front and center. No, that it was just one um, award. Uh, Matt has it in his office. Um, again, the administrator, and between the four of us, like I think he gave us each like you know, like I took it once, I took it home, showed to the parents, and that was pretty much it. Uh, but yeah, that's that. That stinks. But other than that, uh, <laughs> I mean, I bet I could text Matt and be like, hey, I want to see the Emmy and he can send me a picture of it. So, I mean, it's the same thing. So, right. That's the same thing, right? Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that counts. Yeah. So that counts. <laughs> uh, so you graduate from Temple uh, 2016 and um, you not long after that. Um, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, too, because before you started at Lafayette, you did a little bit of work with NFL Films, correct? Mm hmm. That was that was in that in that sort of uh, interim interim period. Yes, limbo is what I was calling it. Um, yeah, I the summer before senior year, I had an internship. Uh, I did a study away in Los Angeles, and I worked at NFL Network, uh, which was a great experience. I loved it every second of it. Uh, it was long hours, 
but it was cool working with a lot of, you know, the fantasy live professionals, Adam Rank, uh, Michael Fabiano, a lot of those guys. And then some of the NFL stars, Ike Taylor, uh, Maurice Jones, Drew, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson. So it was a lot cool working with them. So then they're located in Los Angeles, but films is located in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. So I applied for an internship there, uh, and got it. And I was like, you know, it's, it'll just pretty much buy me two and a half months to keep looking for a job while getting paid and building experience. So, uh, yeah, I was at films from, it was like May through August. And like I finished at films, I think it was like August 12th and started at Lafayette August 15th. Like it was bing bang right in between them. So talk a little bit about how you discovered, uh, the, the position at Lafayette and, and what led you to apply. I think, I think, from the outside, if they look at, you know, what your position entails, and certainly like what my position entails down here, but is like, you know, uh, probably like years and years and years of experience. But I think you were you were you were lucky in the sense that you know it was like bam, like three months afterwards, it's like not only do I have this this amazing opportunity at NFL Films, that situation runs its course, and then uh, the the great the great Athcom team at Lafayette, uh, by led by our our godfather Scott Morse uh, gave you the uh, gave you the opportunity to um, run the video production side of things. Talk a little bit about that. I don't think whole... I've ever heard him called Godfather. Well, um, I mean, I'm not I'm not against it. I'll ask him. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, I guess, I've been calling him the Commish because he started up a golf league this year that I'm proud to be a part of. I'm not winning, but it is a fun week. I mean, we play tonight, so Commissioner, commissioner does sound does sound better. Yeah, I will, I will. I will admit that. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I like the commish. But um, no, actually, I didn't. I, I like. I subscribed to like two work and sports things. I checked Cosida because I knew like after Temple, I really liked college athletics. And, like there were many times at Temple, I was like, man, I wish I could get paid to do this. That'd be awesome. So I just remember, yeah, it was my mom. My mother emailed me the job posting, and she was like, "It's Lafayette College, worth a shot." And it was really easy as opposed to the other ones because I just had to email, I think, Scott, uh, just examples of work, resume, and that was it. But I sent like a cover letter and I sent like um, my, I had a website at the time. Uh, so I like sent that too. And that was how I like heard about it, honestly, is like, and I even think I said that in the interview is I was like, how'd you hear about the job? And I was like, uh, my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I don't re- I mean, I guess I could ask her where she heard it from. I don't, I don't really know. But uh yeah, no, that process was, you know, it was nice because I had a phone interview with Scott, which I thought went really well because um, he, like, really asked me a lot of good, like, personal questions, like, about experience and things like that. And then the on-campus interview was tough, uh, especially for, like, the first real job interview I've had. I mean, before that were internship interviews, which were tough, but at the same time, it's still an internship, so you can't really lose sleep over that. But this one was interesting because it started with a tour by the great Phil LaBella, who uh, clearly knew a lot. He knows a lot more than the tours I give. Um, Again, I make stuff up saying like the Kirby Sports Center was founded uh, right after the Civil War and things like that. Um, But then it went to a group interview of about 10 to 15 people, which was kind of like being thrown into the fire. But uh, it's really good to see it from both sides of the coin. I mean, obviously before I was hired, I wouldn't have known, but now after being hired and how we've done a few group interviews like that, it's really interesting to see how the person reacts in that group setting. Cause it's not the easiest, like a one-on-one interview, you know, you can be more of yourself, be less nervous. But the second you add in like four or five more people, that's 
they have to like impress all of them. So it, it was really an interesting tactic. I think that Scott and Lafayette did. And uh, no, it was really nice. I mean, I'll just tell you, Jake, I think I told you this before, but uh, the first thing when I sat down is Gary Laubach was in that group and he asked me, why did I want to work at Lafayette college? And I, my grandparents were from Easton. My dad's from Easton. So I knew the town really well. And I said, well, it's pretty obvious. Uh, Giacomo's is right at the top of the hill. And it actually got a laugh. It was a stab in the dark, but it apparently worked. So I, uh, yeah, I guess that maybe I have to credit Giacomo's for helping me get my Lafayette job probably. And it's a big perk about working at Lafayette. I'll say that. Yeah, that was, that was always fun. Uh, like every, every week or so, every, every two weeks or so before, whether it was like basketball or, or like a lacrosse live stream, whatever. Hey, you want Giacomo's? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Let's do it. Um, your turn is my turn. Is it my idea? Let's figure it out. Um, you you've mentioned a lot here about you know your sort your deep ties between you know the the Lehigh Valley bleeding into Philadelphia, um, your high school time, your college time at Temple, and now your time at Lafayette. When you were when you were searching uh, for that first, as I always like to coin it, big boy job. Um, was it important for you to stay local, to stay in the valley, to stay in greater Philadelphia or, or was it, was it just like happenstance? Like it just happened to work out that way. Well, I had, I mean, I, I like to think growing up, I had a unique situation where my grandparents kind of like, I never had a babysitter that wasn't my grandparents. Um, my, my dad's parents lived in Easton. Uh, my mom's parents lived right up the road in Coopersburg. So like, you know, we never, on school days or whatever, we never went to daycare or anything like that. They were either dropped off at either house and then picked up on the way home. Um, and my dad actually, he worked like five minutes from where my grandparents lived in Easton. So they, he just dropped us off on his way to work, which was nice. Um, so that like kind of was important to me, you know, um, after college, uh, unfortunately two of my grandparents passed away before I graduated, but after college, two of them were still alive and I wanted to see them. So yeah, staying in the Valley was nice but I wasn't limiting myself to just jobs in the Valley. I would say uh, you made a good point with the greater Philadelphia area. Cause right after Lafayette, I actually forgot about it till the guy called me. I had a phone interview for a creative content job with the flyers, um, which I even told him straight up. I already <laughs> accepted a job at Lafayette. Uh, but um, yeah, I kind of wanted to stay local. I mean, I wasn't limiting my applications to local, but like the Philadelphia, Jersey, New York area, I guess in my head, I thought I'd be in Philly, but um, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of, again, it was like the perfect situation at Lafayette, just seeing how close I was to home. And I mean, when I started, I like just, again, I finished at films on the 12th. I was back home that weekend and I started the next Monday on the 15th. And if I had to like do a move in that time, that would have been ridiculous. So the fact that I just was living at home for the first like six or so months I worked at Lafayette. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was a lot better. You know, I mean, it was kind of like the perfect situation. Um, I wasn't, because it was a lot of late nights, you know, a lot of games as you know. Um, so uh, yeah. And it just, it was kind of, yeah, the perfect situation. It all really worked out. Um, and I, I, I mean, I like the Valley again, like I said, I like being close to Philly and New York. And I just, at Lafayette, I see so much growth and I see so much potential. And um, it's just, it's something that really uh, makes me want to stay. And I just, it's, they're doing everything they can to like 
really grow every program and really grow every student athletes, not just experience, but like playing potential. And it just, from when I started to now, you've really come a long way and I just want to see where that goes. So uh, I think being close and then also the potential at the job. And as you keep mentioning the great team that we're a part of and everybody we work with, I think is what makes me want to really stay here for the long haul. Does it feel weird that you're entering your fifth year? Like, does it seem like time has moved very, very fast? Like, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm giving you that like instant feel old moment, but like, I it's it's weird for me because like when I interned there, like it, that was your first year, and at that same time, it's like at that time, it's like oh, it's like oh, you're in your early twenties, I'm in my early twenties, sick, and we both kind of like went through that at the same time together. Does it does it does it feel like things have just been like? It's been moving fast, but it seems like, like year after year after year, like you mentioned, you know, things are getting things are getting bigger and better. Uh, and I and I know at the time at the time we're recording this, uh, just recently, uh, the announcement was made about the Patriot League as a whole um, moving to ESPN and doing and doing some work with them, which I'm excited to see. Congratulations on that. Um, how is how is how I guess basically. How has all of this been to you over these four plus years that you've been at Lafayette? Does it feel like it's been four plus years? Well, it's funny. And Jake, I'm going to give you a huge pat on the back here. So don't get too, too excited. But it's like every new coach we've had at Lafayette, um, it seems like every senior day and stuff, they always talk about their first class and how they remember their first class. And you were our first intern, at least the first intern that I had. And it sounded like Brooke, the person before me, didn't have an intern either. So you were like one of the first interns we had. We had one in the fall, um, but she, you know, she was good at the in-office stuff, the game she wasn't really working out. But again, it's an internship. You don't really expect that. But for you, you really hit the ground running. So it was something where it was like a no-brainer, where it was like, I just, I even remember that conversation with Scott saying, Hey, Jake can go to all these football games and like some of these road games for us. Can we just hire him? And Scott kind of was like, you know, I was thinking the same thing too. Uh, so yeah, it was nice having you along with those two, but yeah, we went through a lot of firsts together. I mean, uh, when you came in in the spring, I had never done a lacrosse game. The only lacrosse games I saw were at temple um, and baseball and softball. I mean, again, I've loved baseball my whole life. So I've seen baseball games, but like I've never really directed them. Uh, so we went through a lot of firsts together. So that was, it just, it doesn't feel, it feels like that was yesterday. Um, it doesn't feel like that was, you know, four years ago, but, um, I think it's just, it's been weird because of, uh, quarantine. I think that kind of threw things off. Um, cause like part of me, uh, and I noticed this, so I was in the office, uh, just yesterday, this past Tuesday. And, uh, it was weird that like my calendar, I had to like erase like March, off the calendar I was like it just it feels like that was years ago at this point and it's just sad because on there are like baseball and softball games which we didn't have we had one home baseball game uh, we didn't broadcast it we had a simultaneous overlap but that was in like February so we had one home baseball game we didn't have a single home softball game so it just feels weird that like our student athletes got their season cut short um, and now it feels weird that it's Today's the 22nd of September, and I've had every weekend off in September, which is unheard of. Uh, my girlfriend has been asking me, what do you want to do on the weekends? And I'm like, I can do whatever now. <laughs> it's not like I have a football game or something to get back to. So it's just right now, I'd say it's weird, but it's uh, before that, it did feel like, you know, 
it felt like at Lafayette, everything was kind of like changing every year. Like we were trying something different. Like when I first started, you know, like I mentioned, I started just a few days into it. So I didn't really do my own thing. It was more, I looked at what Brooke did the year before and we kind of copied that. And again, we still copy a lot of the things that Brooke does, but there are some things that we like, you know, did a little differently. Like we threw in a third camera now at a, a lot of our fall sports, uh, baseball, we now have a set and softball, we have a center field camera, which is something we haven't done. So it's just that growth, I think is something that's cool to see. And then you just mentioned it, ESPN. We just got uh, our ESPN mic flags. I can send you a picture of those. Uh, <laughs> we got um, some banners and stuff too. So it's really cool to see. I mean, our, a lot of people ask like, why did we move to ESPN? Um, it's mostly because our contract with stadium ended and if we wanted to stay with them uh they would have been charging as well per broadcast we would have had to pay a monthly fee uh so we went with the one that i think more people have access to and can get access to which is espn so it's going to be a really cool um experience i know army and navy are starting on it right now that's why we announced it now um obviously it's a weird a weird announcement to do when there are no uh patriot league events but uh, army and navy are playing on uh espn so it's cool to see uh the graphics and the wipes and everything so, uh, yeah, we'll see what this means for uh, Lafayette Sports Network and Lafayette, but I think the exposure is just out, you know, it's going to be a great recruiting tool for everyone to say that because you know, we're on stadium. What? What is that? I don't know what that is. We're on ESPN. Ooh, that's cool. So, yeah, it's going to be really cool, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for uh, Lafayette, again, on that growth. What have the last six months been? been like because you know we were, we were talking before we got started here about how you know it's you, you went into the office recently but but for the most part it's been working from home and and not being in the office being with the crew be, you know working collaborating doing all that crazy stuff um you know at least for like for, for my end down here like you know down here when everything kind of got shut down it was like yeah it legitimately was like oh crap like this is this is real like like we're not playing sports for the rest of the spring and then we and then we got the then we got the word recently that fall sports weren't happening and it's like oh and i think the patriot league were one of the first d1 conferences even to make that announcement of like oh yeah we're looking out for the students so we're not going to have any fall sports um so from your perspective you know what has it been like? Uh, how have you and the team been able to stay busy and and be able, you know, keep putting out content and just uh, what is twenty twenty? Maybe the the grander scheme of a question. <laughs> what is twenty twenty? I don't. I, I can't I, curse, right? I I mean <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> um. Well, it's so. When this first started, I honestly thought we were having like just a three week, three week vacation. I thought we'd be home for three weeks and then it, everything go back to normal. I mean, again, I took home with me our laptop and that was it, like in a charger. And that was it. I didn't really, you know, think like I need my computer or a camera or anything like that. And then just we got the news of the season being canceled and other things. And I was like, well, it's just it's kind of just a it's a ever-changing situation so we kind of just got to roll with the punches as they come to us um i would say the one thing lafayette i really have to give them you know a pat on the back for is they've done a really good job looking out for not just the students but the faculty as well um they've done really good like implementation and things like that to really assure that the faculty you know can keep their jobs and like they've really moved money around which i think is something that's really excellent and really good to know as a lafayette you know employee 
but it's also something where it's like, you know, it kind of stinks. And the, I don't blame Lafayette for any of this at all. It's not their fault that the coronavirus is out there and um, that now over 200,000 people have died of it. But I think what Lafayette did was the spark thing. I, I, I think the uh, going remote and having some students on campus and trying it out is smart. And to be honest, it's working. Um, I know they had four coronavirus cases when it started, but since then numbers have gone way down and it's just, they're doing, you know, they're wearing their masks, they're being safe. And I, I really think they're doing a good job with that. As for us, we've all been home. I mean, I know I mentioned that golf league with Scott, uh, Phil Labella's in it too. And it's weird that I see them like once a week as opposed to seeing them like almost every day of the week. Uh, but it was really nice seeing them when it started. I mean, I, again, I said to Scott, I was like, you look different, uh, not in your basement. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and Jake, you'll be happy to know Scott's basement is like a Steeler shrine. Uh, the wallpaper's yellow. He's got posters hanging up and stuff. So uh, it's nice seeing him not in his basement, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I found out when I took the job down here in West Virginia that I was about an hour and a half, maybe an hour 45 south of Scott's uh, hometown in, uh, in, 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 in Mount Morris. So uh we a couple of years ago or my it was, it was last year t- what is time um last year uh our our women's basketball team was in the conference tournament and they play in uh Wheeling West Virginia which is up on the northern panhandle and in order to get there there's no interstate that goes up through the panhandle so you have to drive into Pennsylvania up near Pittsburgh and then cut west and i saw the exit for um for Mount Morris and I took a picture of it and I forgot to send it to Scott, but I was going to be like, Hey man, the, I found your home. I found your hometown, man. <laughs> yeah, again, it's just a small world, you know, in that kind of aspect, but he, uh, yeah, it, it was nice seeing those guys. And I think that the one thing we've done, I guess, as a department is we've like just been trying to come up with content ideas. And I think we've been doing a good job of trying to keep people engaged in like uh, primetime parts with having distinguished guests on like Tom Jackie and Beth Mullins, Mike Weinstein, things like that. Um, we're doing these uh, classic games, which will get some of the teams engaged with alumni and things like that, which is going to be really cool coming down the road. Uh, we've got some other stuff that we're working on that I think is going to be interesting. But again, it's not just like a lot of my friends just think like, Oh, no sports. So John just wakes up, plays video games, then goes back to bed. It was like, no, it's not, we're not doing that. I mean, <laughs> there's some days where it feels like everything's dragging along and we're going really slow. But other than that, we have things to work on. So it's not, um, and the downtime, you know, it comes and goes, but, and it's not, uh, it's different because, you know, in a regular work day, we're preparing for the game on Wednesday on Monday, and then we're preparing for the media luncheon and things like that. So it's, different but now it's more um nine to five which is going to be a tough it was a tough adjustment i think at first and now i'm kind of used to it and now i'm worried about when sports come back it's going to be uh the opposite of nine to five (laughs) so hopefully i don't get too used to it but no again we're working on stuff and we got things that we still have our staff meeting every thursday and we talk about excuse me content ideas and things that we can uh work on as a team and we've, you know, it's been going well with that. And I even our part-timers uh, right now, we have Jeff DePalma still on staff. And uh, I know Jeff, another Kutztown alum, Jake 
close friend. Uh, he's been doing some great stuff. He just knocked out all the stuff for graduation about a month ago, which was a huge uh, weight off of my shoulders and everybody else's shoulders. And uh, he just did some stuff for convocation. And uh, yeah, he was rewarded with a case of lining Googles. So uh, yeah, and money and money. Forgot about and, that. Yeah, and money. Probably like the money more. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, be- but yeah, before we've been, we've been working. Before we hop into the music, one last thing I want I'm curious about uh two parter here. Your your time at Temple, uh favorite game production moment that stands out for you that you gotta be a part of and and in contrast your favorite similar moment that you've had, whether it's a game you directed or a game you shot or footage or interview or what have you, that you've that you've gotten to Donald Lafayette. Lafayette. All right. Well, Temple, I'm gonna start with game and I'm gonna say fan. Uh, game and you're gonna hate me no i knew it no it, it, again the greatest football game i've ever been to of course it is uh jake let me tell you <laughs> september 5th 2015 yeah i'm gonna take my headphones off while you while you explain to people what this game is you're gonna edit this out aren't you i know you are Um, i'm gonna basically reverse this entire 90 second thing and it's gonna sound like you're in a david lynch movie oh my goodness well (laughs) i'll keep it short bless you uh we beat penn state 27 10 we crashed sacked uh christian hackenberg 10 times, once on two-man rush. Christian Hackenberg, more like Christian Sackenberg, am I right? We call them Sackenberg, thank yeah, you. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, again, that was just – it was such a, like, crazy day because they opened the, like, K-Lot at 9.30 in the morning, and it was Penn State Temple at Temple. So I, my family had tickets. I had 10, like, family members coming. And of those 10 – Nine of them were rooting for Penn State. The only one who was rooting for Temple was my dad. My grandfather, he, again, diehard Penn State fan, to his credit, showed up in a Penn State grandpa shirt. My cousin Nate went to Penn State and a Temple TV hat. But he said, he goes, John, he said, I'm rooting for Penn State. <laughs> he just said, I'm supporting you, but I'm rooting for Penn State. Uh, but again, I, for those of you who know Philly, Jake, you know this too, when you got off the exit, on 95 whatever that exit is they sat on the exit to the parking lot it took them an hour and a half they didn't park until like one o'clock so again i told them to get there earlier clearly they didn't listen so (laughs) i'm like my dad gets there and he's just fuming like he just wants to leave he doesn't really want to be there and everybody's in the same boat they're like this sucks i hate everything um so I was like, get me in the game because I was like, I'm going to stay in the student section. I'm not going to be with them and I want to be away from them. And thank God I was away from them because they apparently had a terrible time and they talk about how they had a terrible time. <laughs> and then everybody looks at me and I go, that was the best game ever. Uh, we got to run out on the field with the football team before it started, which was awesome. Uh, and then again, we were front row the whole game. It was a sellout crowd. It was the first sellout crowd in my four years at Temple. We had another one against Notre Dame later that year. Um, but it just—it was a great atmosphere. And again, they were down ten nothing. Came back, won the game. Uh, they put security in front of us, so we didn't rush the field. I don't think we wanted to, but it was just really interesting <laughs> to see all those security guys just guard right in front of us. But uh, yeah, it was really cool because I just remember when it was over. 
they were sta- they were sitting my family up in the upper deck and I'm at the bottom and I'm just waiting for them to come down and all I see are Penn State fans. And all like I was expecting them to be mad at me, but a lot of them just pat me on the back and said good job and I just thought that was nice, you know? Cuz when I went up to Penn State, uh it was kind of the opposite. I got a lot of like trash talking from them and I was like it was 2012 and I was like we're, we're not going to win. <laughs> we have no shot. So I like knew it. But um yeah, it was it was kind of like the perfect cap there for a temple. So I'll stop that there. Uh, I've watched that game numerous times. I have it on my hard drive. So Jake, if you need, I can send you a copy. Uh, I know James Franklin buried it in the turf. Like after, like I read that article, which was great. I loved seeing that too. Um, which actually, little known fact, uh, that was Saquon Barkley's first game as a Penn State Nittany Lion which I didn't know. And it all went uphill from there. Oh, it did. It did. <laughs> uh, I just like, I didn't really realize that until uh, I watched it like a week ago or two weeks ago. The pride of Whitehall, Saquon Barkley. Absolutely. But uh, for Lafayette, that's a good question. Um, I'd say from like a directing point of view, uh, it was kind of cool this year. We hosted our first playoff game since I've been there hosted for a streaming sport. Sorry. We've hosted basketball games, but it was men's soccer against Colgate. And it just, I thought it was kind of cool because they like got the band out at Oaks. Uh, the whole stadium was packed. The whole front like um, fence was packed. Like we put a camera down there and I forget who was working. And I honestly think it was Amanda Zakowski. And she was like, John, there are people like in my way. I was like, tell them to move. And she was like, I can't. <laughs> There's so many people. And I was like, oh goodness. And part of me was like, let's just put her on the other side of the fence. Um, but uh, I'd say that was up there. I mean, women's soccer, when they beat Lehigh at Lehigh in the playoffs, uh, header goal, which for those of you interested is going to be an LSN classic game in the next coming weeks. A uh, little shameless plug. That was pretty cool too. Um, so yeah, I mean, Lafayette, it just, it feels like there's a lot of them, you know, a lot of those like cool moments, but I'd say maybe the one that's been the most exciting was uh, finally beating Lehigh uh, this past year. Uh, in my four years here, uh, they've lost Lehigh every time, and then finally winning was a huge uh, <laughs> weight off the shoulders. Uh, another plug about me, my girlfriend goes to Lehigh, so uh, she like didn't text me for, I think, like two or three hours after the game. And then like that text, because we were uh, going to go out, her friends were visiting. Uh, she graduated, like alums of Lehigh were visiting. We were going to go out to some bar and uh, – Bethlehem so I was like in my head I was like oh I don't even know if they want to go out anymore I don't even know if they want to see me but like before I went in uh to like her friend's apartment she was like you can't mention anything about the game so all I did was smile (laughs) that's all I could do but um no it was just it was really cool and then after just seeing like all the interviews and all that and just uh, I was really happy for John really happy for the team so uh John Garrett our football coach so uh yeah, I'd say that that's, that moment's up there, but there's just so many at uh, Lafayette, and I hope to make more as the years go on. So uh, we talked a lot about sports and your background in sports, John, but uh, I think you know the, the, the premise of here is to talk about music, and music, I think, has played uh, such a big impact on your life. Obviously, we're going to talk about that influential album uh, from that influential band, but if we look outside of that group that we'll mention here in a little bit, um, talk a little bit about the different bands or artists that have that have um, had had a significant impact on you because I think I think there's it's it's kind of a, a wide variety from like 
the 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 seminal pop punk bands all the way to you know throwing it back to uh, one of the most influential rock bands of all time. So so talk talk a little bit about your your various musical influences, so to speak. Uh, yeah, so I would say with music, I mean, I owe it all to, really to my parents, mostly my dad, because um, we, uh, me and my brother really grew up in a house just filled with music. Um, we both played instruments. I mean, I started playing piano at about age seven. Paul started playing uh, drums uh, not long after that. Uh, so, and he's my older brother. Um, so it was kind of like uh, I wanted to like play the songs that like I was hearing on the radio and stuff. My dad, uh, we always grew up, uh, we, we take a yearly vacation to Ocean City, Maryland, and every year we listen to, we actually, it started on a tape cassette, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, uh, Endless Summer by the Beach Boys. And then it like, it just now it's like two CDs of the Beach Boys because we got so into it. But those, that was like one of the first bands I really, really loved. Uh, just because again, the, the memory, every time I listened to it, I mean, obviously my name is John, my brother's name is Paul. Uh, it's hard to us to for us to avoid uh, the most probably most successful rock and roll band in the world, the Beatles. Uh, but yes, we grew up listening to the Beatles. And when people ask me what Beatles I like, I usually say early Beatles. I'm a big fan of the Hard Day's Night, Help, uh, Please Please Me albums. But uh, I like, again, all of the Beatles music. But that was kind of like what started it. And then my dad, uh, sometime in the 90s maybe early 2000s i say probably 90s uh he bought this like time life series where every month he got a different cd of uh classic pop and rock tunes from 1954 through 1970 so i grew up listening like i i listened to all of those like multiple times i even did a project on how rock music was shaped by um political and current events through the 50s and 60s uh in high school but um, uh, yeah, it was kind of like that mixed with the Beatles and everything that really got me into classic rock. And that was through, honestly, from like, I mean, as far back as I can remember through even like college, I would listen to those CDs or I'd like pop one of them in every now and then. Um, and those are artists like Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, Clyde McFadder, like those kind of artists really uh, I liked as well. And then, you know, later 60s, there still were some really good tunes and some stuff like that out there. I mean, the Beach Boys, you know, were going downhill a bit after Pet Sounds, but, uh, and the Beatles, you know, were doing their crazy drug-filled uh, Abbey Road and those albums, which have some great songs on them. They're not my favorite, but they have some, uh, not my favorite albums, but they have some really great songs on there that I listen to whenever they come up on my Sirius XM. But uh, yeah, it was like that. And it's funny because like I can see like I know you mentioned the artists we'll talk about later I'll talk about them now Blink-182 I can see the correlation kind of between the two and I didn't see it then but I see it more now um, because I guess like when I was in high school was in 09 was when Blink got back together and I remember that year because I knew some of their songs before then but I like ripped uh, their greatest hits album and I like listened to that on my uh samsung mp3 player again really pulling out all the old names really showing my age on this one but um come on man the lg chocolate throw out throw out the old references come on i mean it had a belt clip too (laughs) when it ran um yeah that's how old i am but uh yeah i remember that and then like not long after that was when i started getting like really into blink 182 and then they released neighborhoods and 
my senior year and that's like that was like again really when I started getting into like that genre of music because before that like I'd listen to Green Day and I'd listen to Fall Out Boy but like that was kind of like and Weezer and that was about like it like I didn't really have a diverse uh music like background for pop punk and stuff like that like I had those albums and I knew like I loved like I write since not tragedies and like those other songs like that, but I didn't listen to like a fever. You can't sweat out until like a few years after it came out. Like I, it was more like I knew the singles, but I didn't listen to like, I, I used to in the morning I'd put on MTV <laughs> and I'd watch the music videos. And I remember all of them were good back then. Now I don't even know what channel MTV is. Now you see kids, MTV was a channel that used to play music 24-7 and now just plays it in a four-hour block from about 4 a.m. to 8, maybe 9. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it's all crap anyway. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, it's like going back to my job, like when we're working on like a tunnel video or something, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm asking the student athletes for songs because I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, they don't want to listen to the new uh, Green Day song. They want to listen to Little Baby or something like that. So. Oh, my, my football hype video I made last year, I used a 90s hip-hop classic uh, instead of like a modern trap beat because uh, I, don't, I don't listen to trap. Well, the first tunnel video I did at Lafayette, I used uh, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. So, I, think the I, one like, that, I think the one you made when I was there, you used uh, – one step closer, Lincoln Park. Yeah, that was the year uh, Chester passed away. Yeah, yeah. I used I wanted to use Lincoln Park for every <laughs> tunnel <laughs> video, but that got shot down pretty quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, now it's after that, it's been like pretty much like Brian will suggest a song to me or something like that. So it's yeah, that's just where I am because I I. I I mean, rock and roll doesn't really rule, rule the charts anymore. And it's a shame, but it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. Is there a concert you attended as a kid that really changed your life? Yes. Uh, the first one, uh, it was, I saw the beach boys in 2005 at music fest and I had never been to a concert before that I had paid for. I mean, I, my parents met at music fest. It's a free music festival concert where there's music, venues and um local bands and then food and stuff it's a great place if you haven't been there in Bethlehem PA but the first one I ever went to was the Beach Boys and the one thing I specifically remember is my favorite Beach Boys song is fun 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 and it's the song they end with and I was 11 years old I had never been to a concert so they played like surfing USA and then said okay good night and they're walking off stage and I look at my dad and I was like oh wow I didn't play fun 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 I'm so sad and then I had those, hold on. And they come back out for an encore. And I had no idea what an encore was at that point. So I was like, oh my goodness. And they played like four more songs and ended with fun, fun, fun. And I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> so, and I mean, I like looking back on it now, knowing the history of the Beach Boys that I do, they only had Mike Love and Bruce Johnston in the band. And Mike is the guy who sings lead on mostly all the early songs. So it was cool seeing him and Bruce came in in about 65 when Brian Wilson stopped touring with the band. So looking back on it, like I saw the Beach Boys, but I like, and even to this day, I say this, I saw Mike Love and the Beach Boys backup band, basically is what I call it. He's using the name, uh, he's using the name to get popularity and, and they sounded good back then. 
Um, luckily, I was able to see them again in 2012 when they all got back together. Brian Wilson, Al Jardine, uh, Bruce Johnston, who's still in the band, and David Marks, who started in the band in 1963, even when he was 13 or 62, when he was 12 and 13 years old, he was playing guitar in the band. So that was like, when I say I saw the Beach Boys, that is when I saw the Beach Boys. But that first concert again, I, I'll never forget that, just that can't believe they didn't play my favorite song and then just add it like oh this there's this thing called an encore so yeah that's that's the one i think that sticks out to me so you mentioned the band earlier blink 182 uh really exciting album of theirs we get to review and i think it is their most uh their most popular album uh talk a little bit about it why you selected it how that has uh, that album in particular has uh made an impact on you so I think like that's, I mean, I've been trying to think of an answer to this question because I knew we were going to talk about this album and I still don't even have a good answer to this album clearly because I'm pausing, but um, it was something where like, I remember up all night came out in the summer of 2011 and that was their first song they recorded in what eight years, nine years or something like that. Uh, and I like, I loved it. I thought it was so cool. And at the time I, again, had their greatest hits album and I listened to some of their other tracks and my friends, uh, Justin Hofstetter and Brian Horn were like, they hated it. They, they hated the song up all night. They, they thought it was like a mix of angels and airwaves and blink 182, which looking back on it. Yeah, it is, but I still like it. Um, and my friend Justin was like, here, and he burned me a CD, again, really showing my date, <laughs> my age on this one. And it was Anima of the State. And I listened to it and I was like, this sounds completely different, but it like, it, it kicks ass, you know? Like, it's just, it's, it's just, it's so like, it's all fast songs. Like, I mean, that Adam song is slower, but it's still like upbeat and it's got a faster tempo. Um, but it just, it was fun. And I think that like, that's the thing I like look back on in like high school and stuff. Like, it's just, that album was like so much fun, you know? And it always makes me think of summer. I mean, like in, in summer, if you're not listening to Enema and Take Your Pants Off and Jacket, the following album, something wrong with you. That's just, those are the two, you know, perfect like summertime uh, blank albums. And it's just, it's really hold, held up all of these years. I know they did their tour um, last year, which I actually, believe it or not, saw four times. I went to four times on that tour. Uh, and it's even with Skiba. I can't believe I paid four times with Skiba but it, it still was just cool hearing all of those songs and like you know you close your eyes and it just like takes you back um I remember uh my girlfriend and I saw them in Homedale uh which we bought tickets to Jake I think I even said this to you we bought tickets to that because that was the date uh Little Wayne was not supposed to be on and then last <laughs> minute ended up being on uh so yeah but uh it just driving up she like never listened to the album so like we listened to it and like just the whole time i'm thinking about just like uh going over to justin's house having a bonfire and playing games and stuff in the backyard in high school or like playing wiffle ball in my backyard and all we would do is just put that album on and it's still like that was 2010 through 2012 that's almost that's a little over 10 years past when the album came out and we're still listening to it like that so it's just for Blink-182, they have to feel like so proud that that album has just touched so many generations and even kids today are listening to it. So, 
Well, you've heard John and I talk a little bit about uh, life, careers, and music, and we're going to hop into this album review, Blink-182's Enema of the State. Before you do hear John and I talk a little bit about it, here's a little bit of background information. Enema of the State is the third studio album released by San Diego, California-based pop-punk band Blink-182. The album was released on June 1st, 1999 on MCA Records. Prior to the release of Enema, Blink-182 had built a name and reputation in the Southern California punk rock scene off of the back of three releases. 1994's demo album Buddha, 1995's debut Cheshire Cat featuring the singles M&M's and Wasting Time, and 1997's Dude Ranch featuring the band's inaugural hit single, Damn It. The band saw a major lineup change after original drummer Scott Rayner was fired from the band in 1998, being subsequently released by longtime and current drummer Travis Barker. Enema of the State produced three singles. What's My Age Again was released on April 13, 1999, charting in 14 countries, including number four on the Italian music chart, number two on the U.S. Alternative Airplay chart, and number one on the U.K. rock and metal chart, in addition to gold certifications in Italy and the United Kingdom. Perhaps their most popular song, All the Small Things, was released on January 18, 2000. The song charted in 18 countries, with top 10 placements on charts in Australia, Austria, all of Europe, Iceland, Ireland, Italy, New Zealand, Portugal, Romania, Scotland, Sweden, the UK, and the United States. It was also certified gold in Sweden and platinum in Australia, Italy, and the UK. The album's third single, Adam Song, was released on March 14, 2000. Tackling an unusual band subject matter in mental health, depression, and suicide, the track charted in six countries, including top two placements on three different U.S. singles charts. Following the release of Enema of the State, Blink-182 burst into the mainstream as one of the main faces of pop-punk along with bands such as Green Day and Sum 41. The band would go on to release albums such as 2001's Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, featuring songs such as The Rock Show and First Date, and 2003's self-titled album, featuring the smash hit I Miss You, before the band broke up in 2005. The band would reunite in 2009, releasing the album Neighborhoods two years later. Following Tom DeLonge's ousting in early 2015, the band recruited Alkaline Trio frontman Matt Skiba, who has been with the band ever since. With Skiba, the band has recorded two albums, 2016's California and 2019's Nine. All right, so we're going to talk about this Blink-182 record, Enema of the State. I think it's, if we're looking at the Mount Rushmore of pop, punk albums of the 90s and early 2000s this is this is certainly on it i would i would argue along with uh arguably my favorite album of that era which is uh all killer no filler from some 41 which is a bop but uh we're here to talk blink and the first song that kicks off this record is the song dumpweed um so what i loved about this song uh dry a lot of the phrase, the one phrase I used a lot. There's typically always like one phrase in each album review that I use consistently, and for this, it was just how driving the music was. It was like you, you know, you mentioned before we got into the review. You know, it's always upbeat. It's always just like it's driving. You know, that's the best way to put it. Is that it's just driving music. Um, big fan of of Travis's playing uh, on the drums on this album, and uh, yeah, I thought this was a pretty uh, a pretty good opener to the record. Yeah, uh, great, uh, great song. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's something where it's like, I feel like this one is where like 
because they used to open at concerts to it um, before, you know, that was like their, the song that they kicked off when the album came out. And then a few years ago, they still did it. And then when they reunited in 2009, uh, they started kicking off to concerts with it. So I just, I don't know. It just always to me is like that one, like the first song on a playlist or something like that. Uh, but like what you said is perfect. Like, you know, it's driving, it's the, um, that guitar riff in the beginning, but uh, you can just really tell uh, if you listen to like Dude Ranch, the album before this one, and then this one, just like how much cleaner it sounds. Um, it's just Dude Ranch is more of the like descendant sounding punk, which is what they started with, you know, that descendants uh, um, sounding, you know, music. But it's just this one, it's just it's so much cleaner and it's just so uh, uh, more like produced and processed. And I think it also, like you said, like Travis's drums really moved the song too. As much as I did like the music on that first track, uh, I loved the music in track number two even better. The song Don't Leave Me. One of my favorites on the album. Obviously, this this album is known for three big songs, and we'll touch on those later on. Of course, I love those tracks. But in terms of like the non-big singles, this is this is one of my favorites on the record for me. Um you know, I love the uh in the chorus. I love the um the second half of Mark's of Mark's uh chorus here where he um, he goes, he, his lyrics that he says, I said, don't let your future be destroyed by my past. She said, don't let my door hit your ass. I thought that was, I thought that was funny. Um, in, in terms of musically, you know, the, um, sort of the build up in the music that the band was doing, uh, during the bridge, I really, really enjoyed. And yeah, as in terms of, in terms of the, the album as a whole, this is one of my favorite tracks, but in terms of, you know, taking those three big singles, uh, out of, out of contention for the time being, uh, don't leave me is is uh is is certainly one of my favorites on the record yeah um i think i saw an interview or something uh where mark said he wrote that song in like five minutes and if you play that song on guitar all you need to know is four power chords <laughs> literally it um and it's but i think it's just like it's a perfect like because if you listen to the album like on cd or spotify the two songs just go right into each other like dump weed ends and it goes right into don't leave me um, and I just, I think it's just, you know, it's a really good kickoff to a 12 uh, track album. And, uh, I agree with you on the lyrics on that one. I think it's like, again, a song that he wrote in five minutes is better than any song I think I'll ever write ever in my life. Um, and it's just, it's one of those that like, it's a good one. I'd say like, if they're playing, like not playing Enema in full, it's one that you'd throw like mid set to like, you know like you just played down or like stay together for the kids or something that's a little slower for blank. And then you just throw this one in there to get everybody back up and going. Like that's a good, like pick me up song in the middle of their set. But no, I love this one too. And uh, the one thing I like about it too, is if you listen to their live album, uh, you can hear the harmonies better between the two of them. That's uh, when Tom still could sing. Uh, he still can sing now, but he can't sing as well as he could. And even Mark, honestly, to a point, but um yeah, the harmonies on that one are just really cool to hear uh, on their live album as well. And that's why, honestly, I mean, I love Enema, but like their live album is just like, it's the both of them are like right next to each other. Track three is the uh, ironic song title, considering Tom DeLonge's uh, backstory, Aliens Exist. Um, read, look up some some stuff about, about Tom DeLonge's belief in aliens and... Uh, I don't know if have a laugh is a right word, but just look from his perspective about what's going on in the the extra life, so to speak. Anyway, um, I, I will say that the one standout thing 
for this song for me was lyrically um, in the bridge. Uh, I loved I loved everything that Thomas said in the bridge here. He says, "Dark and scary, ordinary explanation, information. Nice to know you, paranoia. Where's my mother, bio father?" Um, really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, that this was like the one. So when I talk about those shows I saw last year, this was the one moment where I really wanted to see Tom, uh, because like, like you just mentioned, like this is where everything started with angels and his like conspiracy theories and things like that. And I follow like a lot of what he does with two of the stars and their like film programs and all of it's really well done, but it's just like Dumpweed. I don't know. Maybe it was just the excitement of the show. And then don't leave me was awesome too. And you, Mark obviously sings that one, but the second like aliens exist started and you're hearing Matt Skiba sing it. You're like, mm, I really want to see Tom. And I, I'll be honest, like both the albums they've released with Skiba, I really like, um, personally i think it should be they should call themselves like either blank 182 with matt skiba or just change the name and play blank songs at shows i think they'll sell regardless because you put travis barker and mark Harpus on stage it's going to sell but um yeah this was the one moment i really wanted to see uh tom and then luckily later that year angels did do a tour uh, and they came to philly and tom did a bunch of songs on a guitar uh, he did like I Miss You, a boxcar racer song, and then he played Aliens Exist. And that was like so cool because you hear the song all the time. And I think I love the drum beat to start it off. And then uh, it just, with everything he's done, it was like this is a perfect blank song for him to play because everyone wants to hear the chorus of I Miss You. Um, boxcar racer was his side project that kind of started Angels and Airwaves, but you want to hear Aliens Exist because that's like. You know, it's it's like when Paul McCartney plays like Love Me Do. Like you want to hear that song, but you also want to hear him play Let It Be. Like you want to hear his whole career. And that's what I think Tom did with that show. The smooth transition from Aliens Exist goes right into uh, the song Going Away to College. Um, I loved I love that transition. There were a couple songs on here where it's it's just that smooth, almost like something you would hear in like um the the band that comes to mind to me is like Pink Floyd on an album like Dark Side of the Moon or Wish You Were Here. Just the transition from from one song, uh, almost making the two songs seem like just one giant uh, one giant composition. Uh, I love the just the open non distorted guitar intro. It's not driving, but it's just it's just there. Tom's doing his thing. Uh, listening to this song and, and reading the lyrics as as I'm listening to it for the for the first time. A lot of these songs I'm hearing for the first time. Um, I was getting like flashbacks to like scenes i would see from maybe like a like a late 90s or early 2000s romantic comedy i don't know why but but i I was certainly getting those vibes and um lyrically i love uh in the uh in the second verse uh mark says uh why does it feel the same to fall in love or break it off and if young love is just a game then i must have missed the kickoff that's that's a solid line and the uh second half of the chorus where you do hear Mark and Tom uh, doing their harmony vocals, uh, where, where they say, bouquet of clumsy words, a simple melody, the world's an ugly place, but you're so beautiful to me. Uh, really, really enjoyed those lines. Um, and, uh, and yeah, this was, this was a, another, uh, another solid track. Just missed being like one of my, one of my outright favorites on the album. Uh, but certain, but certainly, uh, still an amazingly solid track, uh, for, four cuts in, uh, to this record. This actually is my favorite, I'd argue. I think my favorite uh, Blink song, this one, or Time to Break Up, which was a bonus track on uh, Take Your Pants Off. But um, yeah, no, I, again, I loved everything about the song. I just loved that beginning. 
uh, and just like how it kind of builds and then just, I don't know, where just the bang hits right into the first verse. Um, but yeah, it was something, this was cool to see live because it's not one they normally play. And uh, it was something where it was, it was really cool. Cause like, this was the one, like if I was listening to, if I was driving, you know, to work or something like that in high school and I could only listen to like two or three songs, this was like the first one I'd listen to and then skip down to a few others on the album. And then, and then I'm there. Uh, so this was one I, I like, it's one of those songs where it's like, I don't skip it. You know, if it comes on my shuffle, I play it. You know what I mean? If, if that makes sense. But I agree with you with the clean guitar intro. Uh, but yeah, it, it's interesting to see like the songs bleeding into each other. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say they were the first to do this, but the first time I was exposed to this was the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper. Uh, they, most of the songs are supposed to bleed into each other. I know the first two do the title track and then, um, with a little help from my friends so I kind of got that vibe a little bit I'm not comparing this to uh, Sgt. Pepper Sgt. Pepper is an extremely great work of art but this is you know a little different obviously but it just I do like that bleeding into each other too where it's like if I'm gonna listen to Enema I'm gonna listen to the whole thing I'm not just gonna like listen to one or two songs so and I mean again it's a 35 minute album so it's not <laughs> you're not wasting your whole day listening to an album so it's just it's something you just want to pop in so I don't have much notes in the way of notes for our next song. I don't. I think the song title pretty much, you know, it's 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 a classic of the time. Uh, the song "What's My Age Again." Uh, what else to say about it? It is uh, as as I as I wrote in my notes a classic bop, uh, and and certainly this once again had that that transition uh, from, from the previous song into, into this song. I mean, uh, you know, for me, I guess, I guess the, the, the one big takeaway I can take from it is, is, is actually, you know, truly paying attention to the lyrics. I think before I had kind of just sung it like, oh yeah, I know the words, ha, ah, like it's a good song. Nobody likes you when you're 23, LOL. But like actually, um, you know, reading a little bit into, you know, truly looking at the lyrics for more than just, uh, a great line in a, in a, in a great chorus, so to speak. Um, and, and actually, you know, kind of reading, you know, what went into writing the song from, uh, from Tom's perspective. What else can you say about it, man? It's a, it's a bop. It's a classic jam. Yeah. I'll say it's a guitar intro. I know how to play, but I've never played perfectly. Um, <laughs> but, and honestly, I don't think Tom has really either, uh, <laughs> in his defense. Um, yeah again it's just it's a really like it's it's a little different where it's not like the chorus is more like um like it, it feels like six eight as opposed to like four four time uh the verses are definitely four four but like it's just that boom boom as opposed to one two three four but again it's one of those that like it's just it's timeless and i mean with the internet and everything everybody you know the second you turn 23 all you're gonna get on your page is nah i don't like you anymore and things like that um but yeah it's, it's just it's a perfect bop and I, I like the music video is just something different too it's just three guys streaking through uh california through los angeles and it's it, it's just hilarious and it, again it makes you think of it, it just takes me back to like you know high school is what it makes me think of and it's something another one of those uh, a lot of these songs on here i'll say are ones that if they come on my shuffle i don't turn off this is one of them so Following that, one of my favorite song titles from the album, uh, the song "Dysentery Gary." Um, I, uh, for me, big positives here. Uh, the the driving guitar that Tom's playing at the beginning, love it. Uh, I, I did have to laugh a little bit at the 
uh, outro, the outro lyrics, and let this be the the one the one spot in the in the episode where I do a little bit of uh, fancy editing. Uh, but the the lyrics here where where Tom says, uh, "Fuck this place, I lost the war. I hate you all. Your mom's a whore. Where's my dog? Because girls are such a drag." I don't know why, but that made me laugh. I, I, I it, it made me giggle. We like every time the song came on, like me and my friend Justin, we would like scream that part, like just all of it, uh, and we'd like look at each other and stuff, just because you know, what what else do uh, teenage boys do than make fun of their mothers? Um, <laughs> actually, fun note about the song, I think so. When Blinks got back together with Skiba in sixteen, they played the song on tour, and I think Skiba said this was his favorite Blinks song before obviously before he came in um which i thought was kind of cool and it was cool to see because like you know they both sing on it like mark has his part too but uh i like this is the one where i think if this is like a vinyl album where you got to flip it over so this is obviously your sixth track out of 12 you're halfway through and it has that like fade out to the end and then you flip it over and you start off with something more somber and adam's song so i like i always think of like that first six is like just that huge like kickoff and then like adam's song comes in you like holy ish i'm thinking about myself and then after that it goes back to that bang kick so i think it's like a nice little break if that makes sense well you mentioned it here we're past the halfway point and track number seven is the song uh adam's song uh, another standout popular song from this record um i did enjoy the switch up how it was this uh, you know, it's for the most part so far is like this very, very upbeat, like, you know, talking about what it's like being a teenager or, a, or at least a young adult in the 90s. And then all of a sudden you have this very, very um, somber, I guess the closest thing you could you could coin as a ballad, so to speak, um, in the track list. Um, so so looking at this, you know, um, the chorus, the chorus is amazing. I, I enjoy it. I did love there was a little bit of uh, p- a piano towards the end of the song, like the last minute or so, which I thought was really, really good. The other good, the enjoyable thing about this is that it didn't feel like, this is the longest song on the record by far. It's uh, a little over four minutes long, but it doesn't feel like it's four minutes because it just keeps, it keeps moving. Nothing is like prolonged for, for too long. Nothing is, is, is too short and instantaneous. Like it just, it just carries along at a nice pace. Um, lyrically, you know, they touch on, they touch on a difficult subject. Um, it's it's tough to uh to 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 touch on on a topic as sensitive as suicide it is difficult um and obviously i know you know doing research into that song the song got a lot of flack in that time and even even in the years since for um what is perceived to be you know who the song was written about or if it was written about certain people um you know that's Look, that's for everybody's interpolation. They, you can think what you want, or actually do research into the subject. But um, sensitive song. But I thought, I thought this was this is again another standout from the album. Um, the one true like ballady moment on the record, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great jam. So I'm gonna flip it on you, Jake. Do you think the song belongs on this album? <sighs> I mean. If you want that nice break of like, you know, ha ha, happy, 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 upbeat, I feel like every album, like regardless of the band, has at least that one song, whether it's touching something this serious or whether it's just a ballad about a girl that broke your heart because she 
cheated on you or what you know what I mean like something like that like maybe a nice little a nice little switch up like that is needed I didn't find it as glaring but maybe I think for me it's because I had to be completely honest I I that was honestly my first time hearing the song in full I think before I had seen it was a four minute song and obviously I knew I knew a large portion of the song but I hadn't really heard the song in its entirety maybe once but but not like consistent um you know, I think I think like I said if you want to if you want to add like a nice little uh, I say I say nice, but if you want to add a switch up in there to to be different to differentiate from what you've had to that point and where you're going to continue to go, I I, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's a great song. So, well, so I would say that I think one the, yes, the song does belong in this album. I know Mark said that when the song came out that Blink was not just like they're kind of like leaving that like you know penis and fart jokes behind like this is now they're becoming a more serious band and i as i mentioned with the vinyl flip uh, i think this is in the absolute perfect spot because dysentery gary if you like you talked about the lyrics is they're more depressing they're more i, I mean definitely not to the level of adam song but they're more somber i guess is the word i'm looking for so then you go into adam song and then it kind of like just comes all the way back you know it's kind of like that roller coaster uh, where you're like, you know, you're so excited, you're going down, now you're going back and you're climbing up and it's like, you feel the build and then you're going back down. Like, it's like, that's that album. So I agree. I think the song does belong on there. I know it's a little bit of a different take. Um, and I know for Blink, it's probably tough to play live because uh, the person who the song is based off of, Adam, DJ Adam, did uh, pass away in 2009. Um, but I think... You know, I think it, the song just means different things to other people. Um, and to some people, it's more crucial that they seek attention for them. But I, I'm a big advocate of uh, if, you know, see something like if you have a problem or you have or thoughts, uh, talking about it is the best way to get out of it as someone who's gone through therapy. I think that talking is incredible. Um, so I think it's kind of bringing to light like those problems and those things that people have and it's just it's just you know it's human nature and we're more uh we're it's more well known now so i think that this is an important song uh and i think you know it's an interesting uh song on this particular album but still is one that um is one of the most important songs they've ever written on to a, a a slightly slightly happier song up next, and uh, I mean, look, I think if uh, if 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 what's my age again is is one of the pop punk anthems of the '90s, I think you could certainly, if you're including multiple artists, you could you could include this song in here. This I think was at least for me as a seven year old uh, in in suburban Harrisburg listening to this song. Uh, this was how I first became aware of the band with their extremely hilarious music video mocking the boy bands of the mid to late 90s. And of course, I'm talking about the song All the Small Things. Um, I loved uh, you know, Adam's song. I never realized that this was another instance of having that, that smooth transition from almost like an organ kind of deal of sorts, and then it transitioned smoothly into uh, All the Small Things. Uh, you know, like we mentioned, you know, sort of just a, a, the vast contrast from the very serious l lyrical content in Adam's song to to this song that's you know just about like oh Tom's you know play you know showing appreciation 
uh, for a significant other. And uh, what else can you genuinely what can you say about this song that hasn't already been said? Uh, it's it's a bop. It's a bop. Honestly, I don't know what else you can really say about that song. Is it's just it's it's a you know it's their biggest hit to date. Um, and I think like you put that and what's my age again on one CD. It's just how do you do that? I mean, I look at the go back to the Beach Boys. They just celebrated the anniversary of their Surfer Girl album from 1963. And on that album, you have obviously Surfer Girl, but you also have In My Room, Catch a Wave, and all these other hits that like, you look at that, you're like, wow, that's like most of their greatest hits album. So, and on here, it's just like those, you know, those two songs, you're always going to like, no matter when you see Blink, you're going to see those live. (laughs) You just know you are. And it's just something, it just, uh, yeah, again, it's, it kind of is that, complete contrast to Adam's song uh which is an interesting segue take but then it kind of gets you back to the rest of the album which is going to be more upbeat and happy let me ask you this what's the better music video what's my age again or all the small things what's my age again easily okay it's just it's hilarious (laughs) that's all i can really say is it's just hilarious (laughs) Uh, after all the small things is the, uh, the shortest track on the album, the party song. Um, the song does, does, um, it does pick up. I think the one thing that kind of threw this off for me was that it, the time sort of, sort of seemed off from, from what they were like attempting to do, if that makes sense. Like it seemed like Travis was maybe trying to play six, eight. And like they were trying to do like the typical like but it, it didn't it didn't sound like it normally did. It did it did pick up, it did get better. I did enjoy the song musically. It was just like that first little part that that sort of sounded like when they were putting this together in the studio, like somebody placed the drums just slightly ahead of where they were supposed to start almost. Right. So like, so like, uh, but, but like I said, if the song does pick up, I do enjoy the song. Just that intro at the beginning kind of, uh, kind of was a little wonky. The more you listen to it, the more you feel like it's going to fit. Again, this is like the hardest, one of the fastest, hardest drum parts you'll hear in punk music and how he did it with a single bass pedal. I'll never know. <laughs> but uh, the thing I like about it is he's, I guess Mark went to a party and it just was absolutely horrible. And then he wrote this song. Um, which I think is again a cool story. Same with like "Don't Leave Me," where he says I wrote it in five minutes. But uh, I always loved this song, and like when I heard they were playing "Enemy Alive," I was interested to see how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they did do it, and it um it it worked. But it was uh, uh like because obviously Mark sings the whole thing. So it was like Mark would sing three lines and then Skiba would sing, or Mark would sing two lines and Skiba would sing two lines and it worked live. But uh, it just, it's such a like fast song. Like, I don't even know what the beats per minute is, but it's just, it's such a fast song. And I know like trying to hear the words and listen to the words, you're sitting there like, I don't, I don't get it. But um, it's so much fun. Like, again, this whole album I'd say is fun. And this just really encompasses that whole theme of the album, which is fun. And I mean, if you listen to like Misfits songs and stuff, there's a lot of Misfits tracks. I don't know if they're as fast, but the way that Danzig sings is similar to the way Mark's doing that there, where you can barely understand him, but he's like doing the 
uh, and Mark's doing the same thing. So I, I really see like Danzig singing, I guess, in this song for Mark, uh, maybe faster and more coherent. Uh, but it's like, yeah, I'd say this is like a good mix of like Misfit Descendants sounding pop punk. Uh, track 10 on this record is the song Mutt. Uh, literally my only note, just, I enjoyed this song. I just, I reading into what Tom wrote the song about, uh, how he lived with a, uh, with a surfer who was, uh, you know, to put it blunt, very sexually active. And, uh, I literally just wrote my one note. I just had just, just a funny song about, uh, a dude's roommate who's really horny. That's what the song was about. <laughs> I honestly, I didn't know that. Um, the thing I like always uh, attribute the song with is uh, it's in like the first American Pie movie and it actually the scene Blink-182 is in the scene. <laughs> uh, it's the scene where he has Nadja, Nadia in his bedroom and uh, it's like broadcasting to everyone and they're watching it. So, um, But the one thing I think that's kind of cool about this song is you can actually, and it's on YouTube, or at least it was on YouTube. I don't know if it still is or not. Uh, They did record a demo version of the song with their original drummer, Scott Rayner. So you can hear a bit of the differences between his take on it and Travis's take on it. I'd say they're both great in different ways, but um, I think that's that's one cool thing. I mean, I think, I could be wrong. I think there were a few songs on this album they did play with Scott. Um, obviously the whole album is recorded by Travis, but I think there were some songs they played live with Scott. I want to say, don't leave me and Mutt are definitely on there. Wendy clear, I think is on there as well. Uh, but, uh, it's, yeah, that's just an interesting thing. Like if you go on after this and you want to listen to it, it's just a cool thing to see. Cause this is, again, this is their first album with Travis. So it's a different sound altogether compared to dude ranch. But if you want to hear what this kind of, what this might be, have sound like sounded like if they had a Scott still in the band. Uh, it's a pretty cool, interesting deep cut. So typically when I, when I like read the lyrics, when I'm listening to these songs, I try not to read like the genius, like annotations that they give, but I couldn't help just like reading the funny anecdotes, uh, throughout, throughout this album. So, so right here is like the, the actual quote, uh, from, from Tom, that, that he wrote, I guess, uh, as, as a note on this song. Uh, Mutt is a song I wrote about my friend Benji Weatherly, a professional surfer who has sex all the time. His name's Benji, but everyone, but everyone nicknamed him Mutt, and it's just a song about a guy and a girl who like to have sex and who doesn't really care much, who doesn't really care about much of anything else. <laughs> so, I mean... Well, I cool. guess it fits. Cool. I guess it fits, right? It does. <laughs> and then, honestly, it fits for the scene in American Pie, too. <laughs> Uh, the penultimate track on the record is another one of my one of my favorites. This is one of the two other, along with uh, "Don't Leave Me," which I mentioned earlier. One of the two, um, uh, as I coin other songs outside of the big three uh, singles from this record, the song "Wendy Clear." Um, listening musically, I was getting uh, I was getting vibes. This almost sounded like um, like a continuation of the song "Damn It." Uh, I thought, I thought, I thought it sounded, you know, I, I heard, I heard sort of the intro and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I see what they did there. Um, the opening lyrics in the chorus, uh, Mark says, uh, but I'd pay, but I'd play with fire to break the ice and I'd, pl- and I'd play with a nuclear device. I don't know. And then another lyric that, 
um, that made me giggle. And that from what I heard too, there was almost like a little bit of like faint organ towards the very end of the song uh, that kind of came in here. It's all, it's, it's a little high pitched. Uh, I love, I love my sprinkles of keyboards and, and organs and such in my music. So I thought that was a nice touch at the end of the track. Uh, well, so I actually, I, I knew this um, from some interview or something, but Wendy Clear is actually about a boat. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, when I, I see the damn it correlation, I never really thought of it till now. Um, but yeah, I definitely see it now that you mentioned it. Cause like the first note I think is honestly the same first note as damn it. Um, and it's in the same key almost, but that's, that's another one of those that like, I bet if you ask Mark, he probably wrote it pretty quickly. Um, and that's something he said a lot about their first few songs is that they wrote them like quickly and kind of recorded them and put them out there, which I mean, a lot of punk bands did, you know, I mean, I just, uh, about a few months ago, I just read no effects biography book, the hepatitis bathtub tour. And they did the same thing is they'd like write like these quick songs and release them on uh, 45s and just put them right out there, which I thought was kind of interesting to see. And you're still seeing it, you know, even today. Um, I think not as much because if you look at these bands, like, you know, Blink was putting out a new album every other year. Uh, so they were writing, you know, their, and putting their best tracks out there. And now it's some bands do that. Some bands don't. Uh, and that's why sometimes I like, you know, when you get a B-side album, you know, when you get like, tracks that didn't make the album uh, i know blink did that with california they released the deluxe version with all the songs that didn't make the album uh green day should do that with the album that they were going to release before american idiot and completely scrapped and then rewrote and did american idiot which saved their careers so um again i think that that kind of stuff is interesting and i wonder if there is some kind of b-side album for blink from around this era and i want to hear what it sounds like the final cut on Enema of the State is the song Anthem. And uh, musically, another case of just hard-driving music. Uh, Mark, with his uh, with his typical bass breakdowns, you know, Tom would sustain the chord, and then you just hear you just hear Mark doing something crazy on the bass. I loved it. Great song to close the album uh, off on. And of course, this would be part one of Anthem. Part two would be the opening track on the band's follow-up album, "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket." Uh, and uh, great, great close to to an album, an album that didn't uh, feel like thirty-five minutes, like it felt quicker. But I think it's it's the nature of that upbeat, uh, for the most part, uh, that upbeat style of uh, of music throughout the record. Yeah, I, you know, like, so when I think of like a perfect album, when I think of something where there's not a song I skip, like this is one of them, you know, in my like perfect album book, like Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel is another perfect album. Dookie by Green Day is another perfect album with a song I don't skip. And this one, I just feel like, you know, it's such a good bookend to this album because it's not an incredibly fast song, but it just like builds and builds and then has that like boom, 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 bomb on the end where it's just, it's such a good like ending to it. And I think that just, again, it's a perfect uh, bookend to this album. And I think that, you know, Tom's vocal in it is just top notch. Uh, and it's different in like the, t- like probably the bit of the time signature a bit. And it just, uh, it's something where like, 
like like you said, when it's done, you're like, okay, let's put on takeoff and pants and giant because it's just it's so quick. It's it's over and you're like, all right, let, next one, let's go. Um, so I agree with you on that one. But yeah, it's it's a it's a good album for like a high schooler. You know, it's a good one for like like you're out you're having fun with your friends, uh, you're out in the backyard, you're doing something. Like this is the album you put on. So I'm curious about this, something I was just thinking about because you know, this was an album that came out when we were you know, four or five years old, right? Late nineties. And you mentioned, you know, growing up, you know, you were really getting into this record in high school, but it was like, you know, 10 years after the album was released. And here we are almost 20, over 20 years later, uh, talking about the album. What do you think it is about an album like Enema, like say Dookie or All Killer No Filler from those bands from that era that the staying power, you know, it still exists for people of our, you know, not to sound like a, like an old head, but like like our generation of 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 music. We didn't, we weren't teenagers when this music was big. In some cases, we weren't even born when this music was big. But you know, here it is, over twenty five years later, for, for in the case of Dookie, or twenty one years later in the case of Enema, and it's still an album that we consistently go back and listen to because the songs are almost like the, the, the songs are timeless. I mean, I think you hit it on the head right at the end there. We're saying it's timeless. Um, and like, it's something where like, I thought about it. Cause like a few years ago, I saw Brian Wilson of the beach boys perform pet sounds live and pet sounds. A lot of people regard as one of the best rock and roll albums, if not the best rock and roll album. And it's just something where it's like, he, so I thought, his set list would be he comes out, he plays Pet Sounds, then he plays a few hits after it, and then that's it. He actually, he did two sets. And the first one, he played about 15 songs that were not on Pet Sounds and were just Beach Boys hits. And I was like, that's so interesting. Because like, you'd think the Pet Sounds store, you'd come out to Wouldn't It Be Nice and end with Pet Sounds and you, you're done. But this one, he kicked it off with the hits. And it's just, it shows how timeless these songs are 50 years later. And then again, like we just said, Blink did the same thing. Blink had it, you know, they just did a 20 year anniversary album for this, sorry, 20 anniversary, 20 year anniversary tour for this album. And it just shows that the songs are timeless and that everybody's screaming the lyrics back to them. And then what they did on the show, well, they went in the crowd and did two acoustic songs, uh, Down and Wasting Time from the Cat album. And then Travis did a drum solo. And then when they all got back on stage, they opened with Bored to Death, at least for most of the shows I saw. And it's just interesting to see how, like, different the crowd is coming out of, like, even a Wendy Clear or an Anthem song. And then when Bored to Death comes on, which didn't go to number one for the Rocks songs. It was a good charting song for them. But not many people know it who listen to Enema, who listen to both. So it's really cool to see um, just how timeless these songs are. And again, you see the same thing I was about to say, you see the same thing with Brian Wilson, of the beach boys is he'll come out and he'll play California girls and everybody's going nuts. You know, everybody's singing along. Uh, and then he'll play like dance, 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 which was a single. It did pretty well, but it's not one of the beach boys, most well-known songs. Not everybody's singing along, but people are bopping their heads and moving around to it because it came out around the same time. This one, I think you just notice that difference where it's like, it's a song from 99 as opposed to a song from 2016, if that makes sense. So yeah, I agree. I think it's just that, um, that just that timelessness 
that we have from like this album that like I honestly I think if this album was released today it still would be widely popular and still would be like a chart topping album that was Enema of the State, Blink-182. Great album. Again, my kind of my final thoughts on it. I think there are five real standout cuts for me. Uh, obviously, the three, uh, the three big songs in What's My Age Again, Adam's Song, and All the Small Things. But then also giving a shout out to uh, Don't Leave Me. Uh, and Wendy Clear, and 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 in a similar vein, I guess I could also throw in a song like "Going Away to College" as well as uh, as being as being three other uh, standout tracks from the album. Those are those are my thoughts before we uh, before we we hop on out of here, sir. Uh, I'll leave the floor to you real quick. Your your overall thoughts and impressions on the album, and uh, anything uh, Lafayette related you want to plug. Uh, well, there's nothing Lafayette related I can plug at the moment, but we, I all will say for Lafayette is we have some cool stuff in the works and I highly recommend you follow us on social media because we got uh, some interesting things that are coming out in the near future and, uh, you don't want to miss it. Uh, the most generic classic plug I think of all time. Uh, as for this one, I just think, um, you know, it's funny how some people will say, you're not going to listen to this when you're 40 and 50. But then I see people like my dad, who is 60 and still listens to Beach Boys albums, who, which, you know, again, he was born in 60. So kind of the same, you know, timeline within like, you know, when he was six, Pet Sounds came out. When I was about five or six, this album came out. And obviously we weren't listening to either album at those ages, but he, um, it just goes to show that like, if Blink says, hey, we're going to do a 50th anniversary anima tour, I'm there. It just, it just shows how timeless this album is and how something where it's like, I'm going to listen to this probably till the day I die. And I don't really, it doesn't bother me that, you know, it's talking about high school and pop punk and girls and, you know, ska bands and stuff like that. I just, I think it's fine. Uh, I think it's fine that like, you know, I can consider this album to be like one of those that I'll listen to till the day I die. And I don't really, that doesn't bother me. And like for people who be like, Oh, sure you will. I'll just point at, you know, I'll just point at my dad's generation and how they listen to the Beatles and beach boys till the day they die. And it's going to be the same way. So, and you could probably do that for people before that. So just goes to show how timeless this album is. And yeah, it was nice hearing them play it live. Hopefully one day I'll hear Mr. DeLong on stage next to uh, Mr. Hoppus. Uh, I wanted to see them. They came to the Sands in 2011, but they had to cancel. I believe Tom and Travis were sick. Uh, they came back in 2012, but I couldn't go. I forget why. And then, or no, they didn't come back in 2012. They came back in 2013, and I couldn't go because I was in college. And at the time, I'll just say money was not <laughs> high in my bank account. And I had the choice of seeing either them or fallout boy who had just gotten back together and were doing an arena tour with panic at the disco and they came to the leah chorus center and this little known band was opening up for both of them called 21 pilots so i decided to pay for that instead because then i didn't have to you know go home and come back on the same day and all that so Sadly, looking back on it, I probably should have chose Blink because Fall Out Boy has come back to town numerous times. I mean, even post Save Rock and Roll, I probably still would have seen them because it's, again, one of those bands. The second they play the intro to Sugar, we're going down. 
minds back in that time. But it still is something where uh, hopefully one day they do uh, put their differences aside and play some more shows together, which I, I hope they do. I don't know if they will or not, but if they don't, uh, Blink's in a good spot with Skiba. I think they're putting out good tunes and good music. Um, and I did like seeing Angels and Airwaves. I know they're supposed to come back to the Starlin Ballroom, which I hope to go to at some point. Uh, they was canceled due to uh, COVID. Um, but uh, yeah, again, I think they both uh, are excellent bands and I hope to see, I mean, even if Blink plays as a foursome, I'd like to see them live. So no, it's something I could talk about for hours. And I know Jake, you're probably like, John, shut up now. I said final thoughts, not a whole episode. But uh, yeah, uh, it was a pleasure being here. And Jake, I hope the best. I hate that you're 400 miles away. But uh, hopefully you can come back soon and we can uh, hang out, talk some Lafayette sports, and uh, we can gripe about uh, your Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, I, first of all, I would just like to say that uh, it was you that said I was thinking that you know, hey, buddy, wrap things up. Those were your words. Those are not my words. I absolutely do not think that. Uh, I think you're great, and I definitely, and it definitely doesn't sound like I'm kissing your butt right now. Um, uh, yeah, the Eagles suck. Uh, <laughs> that's all. I, Is that all you have to say? If I say anything else, then I will have to put an expletive rating on my episode on this episode when it gets uploaded. And uh, yeah, I'm not happy with that team, but we'll see how they do the rest of the year. Um, uh, dude, this has been a lot of fun. It's been too long uh, since we've seen each other, and uh, let's not wait this long again to make this happen. Uh, John Sabito, it's been a blast, buddy. Thanks for hopping on the Bangerhead Podcast. I appreciate it. Jake, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, introducing me to all your friends at Kutztown, too, who have, uh, I hate to say it, we're calling them like AAA because <laughs> they keep, you know, they keep coming from Kutztown. We just had a great intern this past spring uh, who even worked with us past uh, COVID and did some great stuff on his own. Um, so, yeah, it, thank you for introducing us to that Kutztown pipeline, and uh, we're going to keep using that, and that's the uh, Jake Zimmer's uh, um I'm trying to think of the word. The Jake Zimmer's connection, maybe, is what we'll go with. It's a working title. We'll figure it out. Yeah, my my lawyer will contact your lawyer. We'll be in touch. Well, my people will talk to your people. Okay, all right. (laughs) Thanks for for hopping on, buddy. Thanks. In recording that interview, that was the first time I had seen John in any capacity in probably over a year. We we made reference early on in that interview that I think I, 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 I saw him when I saw the, the boys in Crooked Ways do a show in, in Easton, that was last May, May of, of 2019. And here we are a year, almost a year and a half later, and a lot has changed in that time. So super great catching up with John. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool learning, learning things about his story that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure of before, that I didn't know before. So uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Bangerhead Podcast. Super excited for next week's episode. I'm going to be sitting down with Mike Kettleberger. Mike is a guy that I met last year. He is getting his feet wet in the world of Twitch, so we're going to touch on uh, that. We're going to touch on his love of music and uh, a love for one of my favorite artists. So... Tune in for that episode next week. As always, guys, check out the Spotify playlist. Check out our history of, of episodes wherever you get your podcast. 
If you know of anybody who may want to have music spotlighted or be featured as a guest, tell them to reach out to me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at JMZ1994. And that's going to do it, guys. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to the Bang Your Head podcast. Always much appreciated. Stay safe, stay healthy with all the craziness going on. And uh, once again, rest in peace to the icon, Eddie Van Halen. I got nothing else to say. It's been Real Friends. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week.